I watch film, but I'd be honest, I mean, when I first started watching film, I was just watching the game. Hello everybody, welcome to the UK Packer Podcast. As usual, it's your host, at NFL on Twitter, and I have me old buddy, me old pal, at Ryan Peacock NFL, and we're going to discuss some more history and a disclaimer from the very start. It's Totes Grizz. Ryan, how are you? This is bad, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Uh, but yeah, this period in Packers history, uh, not not the best. Um, lots of different reasons which we'll go through, um, and we'll try and find some positives. I'm sure there's some in there somewhere somewhere now this this is weird right because we started off the podcast 1919 to 1930 it was like an 11-year stretch it made sense to take in that you know one year and then we said okay let's keep going so it was 1930 to 1940 went well 1940 1950 and then vince lombardi starts to come into it then a little later on and we're like okay let's slow it down a little bit so we did like his you know few years and now we're going to go from 1968 to 1991. We're just going to blaze through the rest. It's, it kind of reminds me of like what happened to when they were naming vitamins. You know, they go vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C. And they're like, lads, slow down. You know, we might find a load of them. And they go, okay, vitamin B12, vitamin B2. And they go, okay, we don't have any left. Okay, vitamin Z. They just go right to the end. And that's kind of what we're doing with these podcasts. <laughs> we started off fairly slow. And now we're just going to blaze through till 1991. Um, till we get to the good years and Mike Holmgren and look if one thing bounces out at me anyway Ryan throughout this whole period is is that the Packers were very very bad for a very long time and we're very very lucky now for a very long time and you almost I almost feel that we're standing on the precipice of another bad era you know when you see Aaron Rodgers go down and the replacement comes in and you think you have a good team but then they don't do so well like it's a scary time and it goes to show that after Vince Lombardi left even before he left because he was still sort of, um, you know, GM. It's a scary time, isn't it, when the team goes bad because he can stay like that for forever. Yeah, I mean, for for a lot of fans, probably, you know, 35 or less, uh, they're only going to have known the Brett Favre years, the, the, the now the Aaron Rodgers years, and, and largely that's been a successful period. However, unfortunately, those are a little bit older than that will remember the 70s and 80s, and the 70s and 80s were painful, painful time to be a Packers fan. Um, now we know that the Green Bay Packers and the Cheeseheads are, are the most loyal most supportive fan base in the world but I think even even they struggled at times during during this, this period and uh, like I said we'll go through it we'll try and discuss some of the reasons as to why um, but yeah it's, it's going to be grisly yeah and something that stands out to me is that an awful lot of people give out about Ted Thompson and his draft and develop and you know, protecting the draft picks, not giving them all away for a running back. What we'll see throughout this whole period is that there were so many dodgy trades, there were so many people just giving away so much draft picks that although obviously Ted Thompson wasn't around at the time, but he was he's obviously aware of the history of it all and he's smart. He's really smart because although as fans you kind of go oh like why don't you just give away those four picks who cares get him he's obviously good that doesn't always translate we've seen some guys here and i don't know ryan you're gonna look at it that you think they're really good you give away 17 draft picks and realize that you have to cut this guy or you want to cut him in training camp almost well if you if you look at the coaches um phil bengston was always going to have a hard job he had to follow lombardi i mean that was like david moyes following uh, Alex Ferguson, you know, it's that's that's a difficult job to do to to fill such a big, big name, um, and he didn't do great. But then comes in this guy called Dan Devine, and uh, as as we go through the coaches, this guy didn't seem to have a clue what a quarterback was, let alone be able to tell which one was good and which one was bad. 
I mean, there's several trades he makes for quarterbacks, including one for a 34-year-old used-up, washed-up quarterback, and he and he basically he gives he gives the world away for it. So it's nuts. And again, like some sometimes I feel bad for the coach that comes in because he's not given he's not left with a whole lot. Exactly the same as the Manchester United era. Um, and the same problems, the exact same problems that we've seen with United, you know, where he was given old players or players that he never wanted in the first place. But I suppose, as always, and like I always say, let's kick it off from the start. So I suppose we have to look at Phil Bankston era. So again, this is how we're going to refer to him in the podcast. is the only way we can sort of, you know, split up how, you know, crap, let's say, these, these guys are by, you know, each coach. So Phil Bankston comes in 1968 to 1970. He's there for three years short-lived um so his first season again it, like he's given an old team the offense average age is 29 the defense average age is 29 and a half and then when you look at the college kids coming out like 29 is just an age you know the kicking game he had four different kickers uh star was out for almost eight games so he had zeke bratkowski in uh so the glory years really do become the gory years because they had their first losing season since 1958 so, you know, that's since 10 years ago, the Packers hadn't witnessed a losing record, but they did this year. 1969, I started to look up a little bit. So, you know, they thought that 1968 was a once-off, that they had this sort of phrase in the media campaign, they had this, the pack will be back. They'd bumper stickers that were given out to everybody. It looked really promising because they went 5-2, and two, but then in swung November, they'd loads of losses. You know, that ended all their playoff hopes. And a fan favourite here, Jerry Kramer left. Ferris Gregg left, but did come back. Zeke Barkowski left. Bob Skoronsky left. You know, and Vince then himself even went off to the Redskins. And Bankston became general manager. So it doesn't really work out, you know, when Vince leaves. And he probably left because, look, he saw that it was a bit of a sinking ship. We spoke in the last podcast as well that he had a chance to sign with the Redskins and get equity as well. So, like, he jumps at the chance. But... I mean, Ryan, from here on out, it really does seem like it's a slippery slope to nothing, doesn't it? You know, like all the glory with Vince leaving is surely gone. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the things I read is that Bengston had a completely different style in what he was doing to what Lombardi did. We know that Lombardi was all over his players and he was a very much a sort of a totalitarian type figure. It's it's my way or it's no you know, or you're off the team. Yeah. Um Bengston had a different style. He was the defensive coordinator, as, as, as you know, under, under Vince Lombardi. But when he came in to be the head coach, he had a completely different style, which was quite a low-key style. Um, and it was something that was very, very different. And as you said, a lot of players left the team, but maybe this complete change in style, something that he maybe felt would work, certainly didn't work. And uh, he had a quite, an, quite an average record, I think, by the end of it. He did, yeah. And I mean, look... The Vince Lombardi style, it seems to be one of the only ones that properly works in Green Bay because if you look at the style that Mike Holmgren has and we had Leroy Butler on the podcast and a man green on the podcast and, you know, for instance, Leroy Butler said that, you know, and also uh, Gilbert Brown, they were saying that when Mike Holmgren came into the locker room, they all shut up as if their dad or teacher had just arrived in and they were all very, you know, courteous and stopped horse playing around. Then the minute he left, they all started hamming it up again. So you need that sort of person that's going to come in and really take reins of it so the Bankston era for me and let's get to 1970 now so this is last year it always just seems like he's got an aging team um, and then the players that he did have that were any use are either getting bad at this stage because they're getting old or they just leave so I mean in 1970 we had the merger of the AFL and the NFL but then Willie Davis leaves Henry Jordan leaves Boyd Dowler leaves Elijah Pitts and Herb Adderley are traded uh, Bart Starr, Nitschke and Dave Robinson are either old or injured at the time. 
Um, and it just compounded it as well because there was two shutouts to the Lions that year, 0-40 and 0-20. And it just compounds the whole issue for Bankston. And then he goes and uh, he has to call it a day. And it's also the year that we see that Vince Lombardi passes away. So, you know, the end of the Bankston era is kind of personified by even Lombardi himself passing away to sort of show that the light had really gone out of Green Bay at this stage and it wasn't going to get any better. So, you know, Bankston's gone, so the Packers are scrambling around looking for a new coach. And the rumour had it that they actually went after Joe Paterno. So Paterno, as we all know, was in Penn State with the Nittany Lions, should I say. And he was he turned down the Steeler job the year before. And now Chuck Noll went in to the Steelers and, you know, we all seen what happened with the 70 Steelers. They went on to do great things. So they ended up bringing in uh, Dan Devine. Now, Dan Devine's an odd one. Now, I know, Ryan, like you were saying at the start, that he was kind of seeing that, you know, he mortgaged the franchise by giving away so many picks with that disastrous signing of the 34-year-old John Hale later. Uh, but Dan Devine, I mean, it was a good college coach and he went on to be a good coach after the Packers. It just seemed that Green Bay and Dan Devine, they didn't get on too well at all, really, did they? No, they just weren't a fit, seemingly. And I think he had a previous success at... Uh, Missouri and Arizona State. Yeah. Um, I mean, he came in with with a, you know, with some real pedigree under his belt, uh, and really, we should have done a lot better. I wonder if the reasons you saying he did well before and he did well after. I think Green Bay Packers was his first job in the pros, and so he probably comes into that struggling maybe to make that transition. We see players do it, and we've seen a net, we've seen quite a few coaches over the years that we've been watching that are great college coaches. And they either make the move to the NFL and it doesn't work or they don't make the move to the NFL. And the reason probably they do that is because they don't feel the skills are matched for it. Um, when we did the Vince Lombardi podcast, we said that he had the same issue when he went from the college to the pros yeah. um, with the Giants. So I think that's what happens here. And I think probably the reason he then goes on to you know do all right again afterwards is probably he learned a lot while he was at Green Bay. And obviously in the years that he was doing that learning, he was uh, not doing any winning. Yeah, I know. Yeah, an awful <laughs> lot of watching from the sidelines. He got to see the other team win. But not the Packers. And I mean, even the start of his era. Now, again, we sort of talked about. So, Phil Bankston era ended with the death of Vince Lombardi. He's out. Dan Devine starts his period. He's, he has his first regular season game. And um, the players are all sort of congregated at the side of the field because I think someone catches an interception. And they all scrimmage, fall over the sideline into Dan De- Devine or Dan Devine, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce it, and break his leg. So his first game in the regular season, he ends up with a busted leg and he's to listen to the rest of the game while he's lying in hospital with his leg in bits. So, I mean, if that's not a sort of omen for how your period is going to be with the Packers, I don't know what is. But, you know, 1971, they ended the, the season 4-8 and eight, and they said, you know, after 1970, it was 6-8. and eight, So they said, look, you know, give him some time. They had John Brockington come in, and everybody should know this guy's name. You know, an excellent running back. He's going to be in all your pop pub, pub quizzes about, you know, Packers running backs and who was the first rookie to run for a thousand yard, over a thousand yards. It was John Brockington. He ran for 1,105 yards in 1970. The next player to do this is Eddie Lacy. So it'll go to show you how long this guy's, uh, you know, run at this sort of rookie of the year Russian thing lasted. Uh, but this was the year that Bart Starr uh, was pulled out of the game and Scott Hunter was put in. And this, I think Bart Starr in this year becomes the quarterback coach. So everyone sort of looks at the quarterback play after this and says, oh, well, Bart Starr was out. But Bart Starr was kind of in there. Now, I know he can't throw the ball for the people, but he's still in there coaching the quarterback. So they should have done an awful lot better, which they did in 1972. They went 10-4 and and reached the playoffs. So this is only the second time out of this whole era that we're going to talk about that they actually reached the playoffs, which will go to show you how bad a team they were. So the next time they'd actually reach the playoffs is 1982. So they had the fourth toughest schedule this year. 
uh, but they beat four of the six playoff teams, which is incredible to say that the year previous they were four and eight. And uh, they lost to the Redskins in the playoffs, uh, which they lost in the regular season as well. And what's telling about this is, is that in 1972, 21 players from 1971 were gone. So Dan Devine tried his best to overhaul the team. He did, and he had a good record. But we'll see later on, Ryan, as well, that when people tried to come in and overhaul the team, like Ron Wolf did, you know, in the Holmgren era, doesn't always work out. No, and Devine um, definitely starts off it, it quite badly. And like I said earlier, I made a bit of a joke about it. Didn't know what a quarterback was. Obviously, that's possibly being a bit harsh, but we 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 made several trades um, for quarterbacks whilst he was there, and none of them really worked out. Uh, in '73, for example, he sends second round choices in '74 and '75 to Miami for uh, a quarterback named Jim Delgazo or De, De Gaizo. Um The Dolphins obviously go off and get some good players with those picks, and we get uh, a quarterback rating of thirty point nine. We have two <laughs> touchdowns and six interceptions, and he gets sacked eight times. I think he going, you know, completes twenty-seven of sixty-two passing, you know, and that's it. And that that was in eight games. So then, obviously, he hasn't worked out. Divine at this point goes, "All right, we'll go out and get somebody else." He then goes for a guy as you you already mentioned, um, Hadel, John Hadel. Now, Hadel, when you trade for him, you'd think if you were going to give up any picks for anybody. You'd be trading for some young quarterback that's a backup on another roster, yeah. um, somebody you can maybe bring in, develop. No, this guy's 34 years old, okay? And we send five draft picks to the Los Angeles Rams, and not just any draft picks, but high draft picks to the Los Angeles Rams, okay? Hadel comes in, he throws three touchdown passes and eight interceptions, and Green Bay finished that season six and eight. And obviously this starts to... to uh, you know, p- pave the end, if you know what I mean, for, for Dan Devine. But, so even though his days are numbered, he still has the time to bring in just one more quarterback, and that guy is Dean Carlson from Kansas City. Now, this guy comes in, they've given a third-round draft pick in 75 draft, and he comes in and he backs up John Hadel and never actually plays a down in a Packers uniform. So, yeah, they only gave up one draft pick, but this guy doesn't even ever play. And so it was kind of decisions like this with with the quarterbacks anyway, um, that really just don't make sense. And I think somebody was looking at some of the picks that were given away, and I can't remember the year now, but in one of those years, Dan Fouts could have been selected with one of those picks. Now, most people know Dan Fouts went on to become a Hall of Fame quarterback, um, and we probably would have had the chance to draft somebody like that. We didn't. We threw all our draft picks away trying to bring somebody in for a quick fix rather than look into the future. And it really did have a you know, hugely negative effect on the franchise in the years coming ahead. Yeah, because, I mean, we're going to get on to the Bart Starr era now, and Bart Starr was stuck with Hadel for a while. Now, he eventually got Lynn Dickey, but he was stuck with Hadel for ages. And like what you were saying, 73, they went 5-7. and seven. 74, they went 6-8. and eight. So in, in 73, like you said, they those three quarterbacks, he had Hunter in, and I had to laugh when I was looking at how... Because I was trying to follow, okay, like what, what was the quarterback and how did he play? And what I've sort of seen here is that he had three starting quarterbacks, Scott Hunter, as you said, Jim Delgazo, as you said, and another guy called Jerry Tag, so Jerry, or Tag, whichever way you want to say, T-A-G-G-E. So uh, Jerry himself here, I mean, he used to sell hot dogs at Lambeau Field, and then he came in and ended up being the quarterback. So in 73, it's amazing to see that he puts Hunter in 
Uh, then he pulls Hunter mid-game and puts him in the Gezo. And then uh, the next game, he pulls the Gezo halfway through the game and puts Hunter back in again. And then he goes, no, no, no. And then pulls Hunter and puts Jerry Tag in till the end of the season. So he ends the season 3-3. Three and three. In 74, he puts him in again. That He goes 3-3. Three and three. So between all of those quarterbacks, they had an accumulation of three touchdowns and 17 interceptions, which is just madness. Now, they found out that Tag himself should have been good. He went to the CFL and broke some records. I think he brought his team to the Grey Cup. Um, but it turned out that he was an alcoholic. So he said, oh, you know, like Brett Favre, but not good. He, you know, where he'd go and sort of be hung over at practice and stuff like that, which, well, you know, was a Brett Favre special back in the day. Max McGee did it, but it didn't work out for Jerry Tag. Like you said, they traded for John Hadle, and that was kind of the death knell then for Dan Devine. Um, and what he did was, is he threw away so many draft picks in a desperate effort to try keep his job, but it didn't work out. And he'd get this. I mean, the quarterbacks that he could have had was Archie Manning, who he went to try trade for before he got Hadle. He couldn't get him because Manning decided to stay where he was. He also tried to get Craig Morton. Now, Craig Morton, three years later, would go on to win the Super Bowl with the Broncos. So that's the players that we could have had. So it's a mixture of the players that he went and scrambled to get, plus the players you know, that he almost had but didn't. So the Bart Starr era then begins in 75 and goes all the way to 83. And what stands out for me with Bart Starr, and he's a beloved member of the Packers when he's a quarterback but as a coach it just didn't go well for him at all and you know if you were back in the day it would have tarnished him a bit because people were really calling for his head they really wanted him to leave because he didn't do too well and did you find it shocking Ryan that I mean so many players from the Lombardi era got a stab at the coach but they could never replicate what their famous coach was able to do yeah there's almost it almost almost smacks of a bit of desperation really they had their incredibly successful period and I think that when things started to go a little bit wrong and, and the, the success wasn't there, what do you do? You look back to somebody that was there. We see it all the time in the Premier League with you know teams going back for ex-players to come back to the club. You know, Maybe a player that was you know, a particular hero at that club to come back and to manage that club. Myself as a West Ham fan for a long time wanted Paolo Di Canio to come back when things were getting tough. Yeah. And, and look what a bad decision that would have been. You know, I, I love the guy, but it didn't turn out to be a great great head coach so I think we've got a bit of the same thing here they wanted to bring back those successful players they wanted to bring back those fan fan favourites and I think the fans would have been over the moon when they heard the likes of Bart Starr and Forrest Gregg and, and others coming back you know it's a head coach and there was other players as well from that period that obviously came back in some of the, the, the positions underneath the head coach you know yeah. and I think there was a bit of that it's just a little bit desperate trying to get back some success and bring it and almost you almost wonder as well as they'd obviously they'd been under Vince Lombardi, a bit like Ryan Giggs having spent so long under um, Alex Ferguson, and people presuming that he will be now be a good uh, head coach. There's nothing, nothing really but that experience, and this is maybe another thing they've seen the way that Vince was doing it when uh, Bengston come in. Obviously, he changed his style a bit. Maybe they wanted somebody that would bring back that sort of Vince Lombardi feel to the team. Yeah. And it's a shame, you know, and we've seen, like, we have, we all know the coaching trees that happen in the NFL. So you'll have one great coach and there'll be about 50 coaches that stem from him who've, you know, been touched by that magic and decide to go on and do something great. I mean, most of the coaches in the NFL at present sort of played underneath 
um, some great coach and got their tips. Vince Lombardi even said that about his coach, you know, that he took the way he organized practices and find players and did his tape study all from the one guy. But Bart Starr, 1975 to 1983, could not replicate it. Now, again, a part of it with Bart Starr as well was that he inherited some really bad guys. So we all know about John Hadel. I mean, the guy looked 75 when he was actually in his 30s, which would have been still old for a quarterback. Um, <laughs> so 1975, uh, Bart went 4-10. But, you know, the draft picks that were traded away uh, to an extent, um, you know, by Dan Devine were got back again because Bart traded ten he- Ted Hendricks to the Raiders um, for first round draft picks. Um, and then, you know, there was so much stuff as well, Ryan, that, you know, back in this era, uh, we have the collective bargaining agreement, which, you know, Aaron Rodgers kind of said we've given Roger Goodell too much power with that bargaining agreement and you know everyone was sort of you know this sob story because we all know the current situation with the Packers being brought before sort of a tribunal but back then and what we've seen the start of it really in 1975 is is we've players walking out of camp we've players striking and I mean it was all in disarray everyone was looking for the money because Ken Ellis walked out of camp in a contract dispute and um, which didn't do Bart Starr any favours in his first year they went 1-8 and eight, and it's only that they won 3 of the last 5 games that the ended with that 4-10 and 10 record so an awful record and you know compounded by the fact that he had a bad quarterback and there was all these sort of disputes they were bottom, the bottom of the division and the same happened again in 1976 they went 5-9 and nine, bottom of the division again for the second year running their offense was 26th in the league the Russian they needed it to win games because they weren't doing too well uh, with their quarterback John Brockington at that stage was going downhill which is strange because I think he rushed for his first three seasons over a thousand yards but after that he had nothing. Um, it's the age-old story. Is Brockington came out because I think he only averaged something like 400 yards a season after that. And isn't it the same old adage, Ryan, that he came out and said, first off, you depended on me to run because you had no quarterback. So, you know, we've kind of seen this to a degree with Adrian Peterson where he got bashed up, but he just seems invincible. But if you go to the likes of DeMarco Murray for the Cowboys, say, when he was trying to shoulder um, some of the grief, their body gets bet up and they can't do what they thought they'd do so when they traded to Marco Murray he didn't work so Brockinson came out and said look my body's in bits the offensive line is awful I can't find a space to run so what do you expect me to do yeah and I think um, another good example of that is where if you look at uh, the Texans running back or, or, or used to be the Texans running back Arian Foster he's another one and I think I think yeah if, unfortunately if, if you do have to rely heavily on, on your running back because either you've got a rookie quarterback or you've just got not a very good quarterback, then yeah, they do tend to get beat up, and 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 that's the problem I think with that those Packers teams of those years. There were so very few stars on those teams that the ones that, that were there probably were overused um, and expected to do far more than, than we probably should have asked them to do. Um, I mean, you mentioned Ted Hendricks. That guy went on to be a Hall of Fame player. Um, we we had him for one season. Yeah, you know, and he went on to do some unreal things with the Raiders. And uh, yeah, he's he's a player that we let go. But you know, looking at it, you can't, can can we really blame Brett, uh, Bart Starr for that? Because it was the previous coach that left him in that position where he had to do something. And if you felt Ted Hendricks was a player that could get him a load of those picks back, then you know it's, it's probably something he felt he didn't have any choice but to make. Yeah, it's a shame, really. And then he had to depend on the running game. There's nothing else he can do. But he tried to take action in 1976. And what he did was, is he got the ball to John Hadle and on the 2nd of April traded him. 
So we trade John Hadel, uh, defensive back Ken Ellis, who again, remember the previous year, walked at a camp because, you know, you have to remember the dudes who don't stand by you. And a 1976 fourth round draft pick and a 1977 third round draft pick uh, to Houston. And they got Lynn Dickey in uh, return. Lynn Dickey ended up being... I don't know how you know. And I, we we speak at the meets all the time, don't we, Ryan? To people, and they say, "Oh, Lynn Dickey, he was he was underrated and stuff like that." Like, how do you feel about the Lynn Dickey period? Do you think that he reached his full potential? Do you think that you know he's a bit overhyped and he was oh you know superseded by the Magic Man? He was the real sort of unsung hero of that period. Well, I think Lynn Dickey was, from what I've seen, and, and it's not a great deal because one, there's not too many highlights of this period, so you don't tend to have all the DVDs out. Yeah, <laughs> but. From what I have seen of him, old footage and so on, and watching old Packers programs, this guy was pretty good. It's just unfortunately he didn't have the supporting cast to go with him. Um, you mentioned the Magic Man. Obviously, that guy was very good, but uh, he probably was just there before the team caught up with him. Um, and that's probably where... The, so I think they both... They Unfortunately, we probably had players around when we had these poor quarterbacks that could have helped. And then... As those players started to leave and they tried to rebuild the team, they got the quarterbacks, but maybe didn't have some of the players around them. Um, saying that, there were some very good players on the team and some that did make uh, the the all-decade team. James Lofton is one of those. Yeah. But then James Lofton's another one that you could say, you know, we traded, traded away far, far too soon when he's still absolutely in his prime. Um, but, for yeah, for those that, that don't know James Lofton, um, he is a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Uh, he had, it says he had, you know, had a unique ability um, to make a, an amazing catches and deep threat in the, on the football field. In 16 seasons, so over his entire career, 764 passes for 14,004 yards, and this is the best bit: an 18.3 yard average per catch. That's madness. I mean, that is crazy. So basically, you throw the ball to to this guy, you you're getting first downs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and and deep threat-wise, he was amazing. But I understand there was some trouble, which you, you might explain in a minute, but there was some trouble that he got into, and then after that, he was traded away to the Los Angeles Raiders. And, uh, you know, he went on to play many more seasons with the Bills and then the the, the Los Angeles Rams after that. And um, we probably let him go just a bit too early. Yeah, it was a bit of an odd one. But again, that whole Packer people thing comes into it here he was done for a sexual assault and um, now again whether the case was you know finalized against him or not but he wasn't the only player in that year and again i mean lofton sometimes had a bad rep even with the pr people i mean if we jump ahead to 1979 uh, the packers the first monday night football game uh, comes to lambo and the packers are playing the patriots now the packers go into that season one and three and the patriots patriots are three and one so they expect the packers to be beat on the national stage so lofton gets in trouble because he drops a few passes and you know he's been saying some dodgy comments uh before the games and he's dropping passes he's fumbling the ball you know and the, the fans start booing him so guess what he does sticks up the middle finger flips them off says yeah yeah you know and starts giving out to the media so even the packers pr people come out after the game and i quote he needs to grow up he's a prima donna so that's sort of what even the packers public relations crowd are saying about him not a good thing to be saying about one of your best players but again i mean look at look at the stats that you just raised the guy was a beast um, so yeah if we sort of jump back again 76 they bring in Lynn Dickey and I'm surprised Ryan he even the chap's even alive if you go through sort of a laundry list of Lynn Dickey's injuries over the years I mean how he ended up playing in the NFL at all is beyond me so he was at his pro day right so and he's trying to impress the 
you know the scouts that are coming along he doesn't warm up properly because he gets too excited like a puppy so he starts absolutely <laughs> treading the ball hammering the ball right he ends up getting a sore arm and he drops from a first rounder to a third rounder which is good because we get him in 1976 and he was a first round quarterback uh, but he dropped at a third round because of his sore arm so 1972 preseason. Uh, he gets sort of you know dragged from behind and he pops his hip bone out of the socket He's, he chips off some of the hip bone and tears <laughs> all of his ligaments right now, that'd be that sounds nasty just listening to that I know yeah I feel like crying at the mic so Jeez. 1976 he separates his throwing shoulder and they have to put a screw in uh, to sort of implant into the joint to sort of screw him back together so 1977 which is uh, the year that we're sort of talking about now when the Packers struggled 4 and 10 he shattered his tibia and his fibula his leg was pointing at a 90 degree angle it was going the opposite damn way they had to put a plate in it um, and it, that got infected then he got tendonitis because they had to shove a rod down through his leg um, and he actually at the stage like uh, are you just trying to make me pass out here because <laughs> I'll just letting you know if I just pass out you're just going to hear a thud in yeah a and I'll have to carry on for the rest of the years and sort of wrap up so I actually, might be a big guy but this stuff scares me but I tell you it seemed to, <laughs> it seemed to scare him right because he interviewed as a sporting goods rep and he said like this is it for me can't do it anymore it was painful for him to even walk uh, but again he got that rod taken out of his leg and he was able the tendonitis sort of uh, subsided and he was able to go 1980 he gets tendonitis of the right shoulder and he couldn't even throw in practice he had to leave it till the games to throw so like Lynn Dickey as good as he was, you know, uh, he could have been an awful lot better had he not been injured all the time. So, 1978, finally, the Packers tie for first in the NFC Central Division. They started off the season 6-1. and one. They'd only 10 starters in nine, from the 1977 season in 1978. So, Bart Starr tried to do what previous coaches tried to do and clear out the team. And it really seemed to work because they had that winning season. He had four players left from 1975 when he took over. Um, and there was some odd stuff happening in this season that you think that Bart Starr changed all the players and really made a go at it but that's not the case of what happened at all he had some running backs that no one's ever heard of before or again that ran like mad for that season so uh, Terdell Middleton rushed for 1,116 yards he was the only running back between John Brockington in 1970 and Edgar Bennett in 1995 to run for that amount of yards but he disappeared the next season so 1979, the run defense is absolutely shocking. Um, you know, they, they give up 150 yards a game for 14 games. They're the f- fourth worst run defense in the NFL. Uh, the running backs from last year, they're either all injured or just don't perform. Uh, Lynn Dickey returns after his injury, but he gets two losses and one win. And then Bart Starr is kind of called into question. And that's that whole Monday night football game that comes to Lambeau that they actually end up winning. Um, so again Bart Starr is under the impression that they're saying look what we're going to do is 1980 they strip him of his general manager duties so his first round draft choice um, decided to play in Canada in 1980 so this is going to show you how you know high esteem people held the Packers in the Packers were winless in preseason now as much as people say preseason doesn't matter if you don't win any of your games it's not going to go too well so for the first time since 1946 they don't win a game the defensive line quits the coach of the defensive line quits is a guy called Fred Von Appen. They lose 38-0 to the Broncos. And do you know what the one reason is, Ryan, why this guy decided to quit? And this is bizarre. Go on. This guy decides to quit because in that preseason game, he looks over onto the bench and Ezra Johnson from his line, it's in the second quarter and he's eating a hot dog on the bench. So he's looking at this guy shoving his face full of hot dog and thinking... These lads are just taking the mickey. They don't really care at all. So even before the season starts, the guy quits. 
Now, is that not some massive indication of how badly your team is doing? If your first-round draft pick goes to play in the Canadian Football League and the guy's chugging hot dogs on the sideline to make your defensive line coach quit. Yeah, it's, it's unreal. And actually, there's apparently quite a lot of stories of rookies that were, if they knew they were interested by, in, in sorry, if they knew Green Bay was interested in them, they would actually go out of their way to try and put Green Bay off drafting them. Yeah. Because things were that bad at that time. And I guess, you know, people didn't want to come and play in the cold, but they also didn't want to play in the cold if they're going to be playing for a team that was useless. And so th there was a lot of that going on as well. Yeah, and I mean, 1981, it doesn't get any better because they go two and six at the halfway point. So, like, six times out of the last seven years, the Packers have a losing record halfway through the season. Uh, but I suppose it started to look up in 81 because they traded for a wide receiver, John Jefferson, and it really picked up pace. Um, and they only lost by one game to reach the playoffs in that year, um, which was a shame that they didn't get there. But, I mean, Bart Starr's numbers were almost on the wall now at this stage. 1982, they go on a player strike. So, you know, there's a, there's a nine-game season then because all the players go on strike. So there's no divisions anymore because they didn't have enough games. And uh, the Packers reached the sort of playoffs then and it kind of went to this weird um, semi-finals is what they call it in the sort of record books. And they ended up losing to Dallas. So again, that's the only the second time out of this whole period that they go to the playoffs and they only have nine games to do it. Um, so that's Bart Starr's second last game. 1983 is his last game. Uh, the offense... You know, they go 8-8, eight eight, so the offense goes for 52 touchdowns, 429 points. Uh, Lynn Dickey's in there, Jerry Ellis is in there, Ellis is kicking ass. He's the first Packer to have 500 rush yards, 500 receiving yards. Um, you know, they needed a win at the end of the season to get into the wildcard race to, into the playoffs, but they ended up losing to Chicago 23-21, and Starr sacked the next day, and it's painful because he kept all of his timeouts in that game. And they lost then with 10 seconds left on the clock because the Bears kicked a field goal. I mean, you know, what a way to go out. And the next coach, Forrest Gregg. Yeah, and this was a guy that had, uh, he, he he wasn't coming in fresh to this. Forrest Gregg had been about as a coach and he had, he'd been at San Diego and Cleveland as the offensive line coach. He got the head coaching position at Cleveland. He spent a couple of years there. He then goes off to CFL as well and he goes to be the head coach of the Toronto Argonauts. Comes back to Cincinnati Bengals then ends up as the head coach of the Packers in 84. Um, he had, well, he had a mixed time of it as well. Uh, some some random trades again. There seems to be a lot through this whole era. A lot of sort of the, the front office stuff wasn't doing particularly well and it was having a big effect on the field. Yeah, Ryan, like you say, I mean, first Greg did have the pedigree coming in, but I mean, he didn't get a great start. He's only last four years anyway from 1984 to 1988. 84, he comes in, he starts the, the season 1-7. So the fact that they ended up with an 8-8 eight eight record when they start 1-7 was amazing. And I must have given the Packers fans kind of hope because, you know, you start off 1-7, you must have won nearly all of your last remaining games. Um, he brings in Randy Wright this year, who's, who's drafted. So he's brought in to kind of replace Lindicky further down the line. It's lucky that he did. So 1985, uh, John Jefferson has traded to Cleveland. So one of their best wide receivers is gone. Now they go 8-8 eight eight this year again. So it's the third consecutive year that they go 8-8. Eight uh, Lynn Dickey gets injured, so Jim Zorn is brought in, uh, or Randy Wright plays, but both of them were inefficient anyway, it doesn't really matter. And then at the end of 1985, Lynn Dickey decides to leave because they couldn't agree on a contract. Uh, but they had a good running game this year. Jerry Ellis, uh, that I spoke about, sort of, you know, hauling ass in the last one in 1983, getting 500 rush yards, 500 receiving yards. He averaged 5.49 yards per carry, which is the first time in franchise history. Um, but the most noteworthy thing actually do you know what and you kind of have to pick out certain games per season because the seasons usually are so bad or so nondescript there's like one game or so every season that you go oh that was interesting so the Monday Night Football game a few years ago that was interesting 
Uh, this time, week 13 against the Bucks. Six inches of snow fell the day before the game. The day of the game, another six inches of snow. It was completely white. To add to that, the Bucks were wearing white jerseys, so you couldn't even see these dudes running around. They couldn't place the ball uh, when it came down to field goals. But the Packers ended up winning the game 21-0. They say that the Packers played on that pitch like the grass was perfect and the Bucks were playing on the pitch exactly like it was with about you know 8 to 12 inches of the snow on the pitch so they couldn't see anything I mean it was so dangerous that the story goes when the Bucks got on the plane to leave from Lambeau uh, Wisconsin when they were trying to you know pull off up the runway they looked this isn't safe the amount of snow and ice around here they didn't feel safe about taking off and they said that's it we don't want to fly the pilot had to come out from the cockpit and say to them lads I have a wife I have a kid I'm not going to endanger your lives to try fly when it's not safe and it all went really quiet and one Bucks player apparently shouted out show us the pictures so they wanted to see pictures <laughs> of his wife and his kid and again they were saying that as the as the plane was sort of taxiing down the runway it was so quiet that everyone sort of expected almost to die but the plane took off everything was fine so 1986 the packers go four and 12 so this is another sort of period where Forrest greg decides to have a massive clear out but it didn't go too well because the previous season was the third consecutive 8-8. Eight eight. I mean, you do okay with that. Greg has the clear out, so he's left with inexperienced players. You know, loads of them get suspended. They start the season 0-6. and six. Randy Wright t- takes over from Lynn Dickey uh, for the Packers. But the Packers are in talks at that stage to try to bring Jim Everett or Doug Flutie to Green Bay. I mean, Ryan, how crazy would it be to have Doug Flutie running around behind the behind the no. Doug Flutie is one of the most exciting players I've ever seen play. Um, but another quarterback you mentioned just then, Jim Zorn. Jim Zorn was a fantastic player at Seattle before Green Bay. Yeah. And he, he broke all sorts of records um, that I think lasted right up until Matt Hesselbeck came in. Obviously, Packers back up at one point. Um, but he was a fantastic uh, quarterback, and we had him on the roster, but we only had him for one year and we let him go. You know, And this was another thing that may be another mistake. I mean, okay, maybe his play wasn't good, but he was fantastic with Seattle, and it just seems like if he could have... If anybody could have ruined him, it was us at that time. Yeah, it's such a shame. I mean, when you look at some of the players that we could have drafted, like look at all the the heydays of the Steelers and the the Dolphins and all these periods that were sort of flashing by. We could have surely drafted a lot of their players in the draft, but we always pick to either give away the draft picks or not to draft them. One player that stands out for me that we could have drafted throughout this sort of period is Barry Sanders. I mean, we could have uh, got uh, him and we didn't. You know, we passed over him for somebody else. I think the next pick was him and we needed a running back at the time. So it's just mental. Um, so yeah, eighty six, four and twelve didn't go too well. Nineteen eighty seven, they went five nine and one. So this is a weird season that we have a Packers A team and a Packers B team who plays because the A team were on strike, so they start the regular season zero one and one. So they lose and they draw. Then the replacement team comes in, they win two games and lose one. Then the regular season come back in again for the last ten games and they lose seven of those games. So the, you know they end up with five nine and one. But nearly half of the games won were actually the replacement team that came in. So, you know, we've loads of people sort of underperforming here. Uh, you know, we've Brent Fullwood, who's a running back. I mean, he gained just 274 yards all season and he was our top running back. Crazy. You know, Randy Wright held out in training camp. So we have a man here. This, You know, this is the last year of the Ferris Greg era. And uh, Don Majikowski comes in um, in 1987 and he shares some snaps with Randy Wright and, I mean, you know, he surprises people with how good he actually was. All right, yeah, Majikowski uh, was drafted 87, 10th round pick. Um, obviously, we know he wore the number seven, but interesting fact is that he was actually originally issued the number five jersey. Oh, yeah. Um, which is obviously Paul Horning's jersey, which is, you know, was 
the jersey's never actually been properly retired, but I think it's considered unofficially retired. Um, but interesting fact is that Majkowski was the last player to actually wear that jersey. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, obviously he changed his number in anticipation of that happening. It hasn't happened yet, so he, he wore the number seven. As you said about, you mentioned Randy Wright, they split time together. Um, and then I think Majkowski, 89, obviously proved that he was he was the better quarterback. Randy Wright gets released. Majkowski goes on to be the quarterback. And I think Majkowski, again, we already we already uh, sort of touched on it. There's a lot of people that hold him in those sort of, with those big quarterback names from the Packers over the years. He was a very good quarterback. He was just there probably at the wrong time, just before we really fully recovered as a team. Yeah, he had this sort of, uh, you know, because... Recent years, we say the heart attack pack. Um, you know, back then in 1989, they were called the cardiac pack because they were doing the same sort of stuff. So to jump back a little bit, you know, we ended sort of 87, Majikowski gets drafted. Lindy Infante comes in uh, because Forrest Gregg is, is given the can. Uh, so 88, I mean, he starts 0-5. and five. He had a young team. They were inexperienced. He had his new offense that he wanted to try. Uh, they went, they were 2-10. and 10, And then they went and won their last two games at the end of the season. And they ended up 4-12. and 12, So they were almost the worst team in the NFL. Uh, so 1989, as you say, Majikowski comes in. So they call him the heart attack pack because they won four games by one point that year. And they won seven games by five points or less. So like in week two against the Saints, they won after being down 17 points at the half. Week four, they were down 15 points in the final quarter. And Majikowski comes back. And that's why they call him the magic man. And that's why if you watch any documentaries about him, they'll say, oh, he had a knack to pull the win out of the bag. That's what they mean because they mm-hmm. won so many games at the very end. Um, so he set all types of franchise records um, that year in 1989. And again, they had Sterling Sharp. He had 90 receptions that year, so he led the NFL. They were one game short, again, of the playoffs. And, you know, Magic Man kind of goes down in history, and one of his best games ever was they were playing the Bears, and it was fourth down at the Bears' 14-yard line. And Majikowski takes the snap, runs around a little bit, and then, you know, pegs the ball downfield, gets the touchdown for the win. But uh, the refs ruled that out and said, no, no, he stepped out of bounds. But when they went and looked back at it again with instant replay, he ended up, uh, you know, not stepping out of bounds and they won the game. And that's something that even, you know, diehard Bears fans now will gripe about. And it's called the instant replay game. So that's sort of a famous game back in Packers history. So... 1990 swings around they go 6-10 and Uh, the magic man gets injured in week 10 and then they lose the last 5 games you know and this is again like before this time of the collective bargaining agreement people don't really realise how I don't know lucky us fans were and probably more so the owners because players tended to hold out and strike an awful lot so 1990 it happened again 18 players held out a training camp um, 1990 was a bad year anyway it was the worst ever in, in Packers history for the rushing uh, Brent Fullwood an absolute bust I mean this guy this year said he was too sick to play against the Bears you know and he, he sat out the game and then he was caught that night out clubbing like I mean before Johnny Manziel was Johnny Manziel Brent Fullwood was doing his thing um, and this is the second last year in the Lindy Infante era 1991 the year before you know the great golden era starts coming back in again they went 4-12, and 12, so the offense was 24th. Magic Man missed seven games because he had a hamstring injury. The running game averaged 20 yards per game. I mean, you don't win games with 20 yards per game. Uh, the defense was decent enough. I mean, they ended 10th in the league. They had the best run defense since 1940. So in 51 years, they had the best run defense in the league, which sort of set up the fact that when Holmgren was to come in, he did have some stuff to work with. He had got some good players there. 
So November in 1991, Tom Bratz is fired as the team vice president. Ron Wolf was hired. Um, you know, and that was the day after the season Infante was fired by Ron Wolf and he brings in Mike Holmgren. So, I mean, this is the point that if you want to go back and listen to the podcast with Leroy Butler, he talks about Ron Wolf coming in to the locker room and saying, lads, you know, this time next season, most of you aren't going to be here. I'm rebuilding and I'm going to make this team great again. And as they say, the rest is history. So, Ryan, really, isn't it like the glory years to the gory years, back to the glory years again? And we're still in that stretch. Yeah, and it's, it really is a period of, of time where you've essentially got, for whatever reason, players coming to the team that were good, that then for some reason disappeared off the radar. You've got coaches coming that seem to have all the pedigree. You've got ex-players coming back as coach, trying to give it that inspiration and it not working out. There's a lot of things that just aren't really done properly. The trades, the, the players we could have had in the draft had we not thrown all the trade picks away. There's just so many different things that time and time again happen. Um, and it's just a really poor period. I know um, there was a guy in the Sports Illustrated uh, and he wrote that we, we should actually just sell the team to Milwaukee and get out of Green Bay because this place is going nowhere. You know, yeah. it's... It was just a really, really bad time. And like I said, it's, it's probably the only time in history where I actually start to see examples of the the fans really losing interest in the team to, to an extent. I mean, that stadium's always sold out, but we know that there was a no-shows going from five to 10,000 in some games. You know, there was a game they played against uh, the Vikings and there was nearly 10,000 people didn't come and actually, you know, they had the tickets, but they just thought, you know, it's cold out there and nobody wants to watch those Packers. So there was all kinds of things going on. Uh, it said that under coach Infante, there was a, there was a welcome luncheon or welcome dinner thing that they had, where they have the Packers players and they invite the Packers fans along and everybody mingles. And it said that at this one particular one, uh, there was more players and coaches there than there were fans that wanted to turn up. I mean, it was it was an embarrassing time, but luckily, as you said, Ron Wolf comes in, a certain number four comes in. Um, and things obviously start to turn around. Yeah, and I mean, do you know what? Even if you look at the Brett Favre trade, when you look at Brett Favre and how rough he was around the edges and how he started off his career by throwing interceptions or he threw a pass and it deflects and he catches it again, so he effectively throws it to himself. I mean, there was a smack at the very start of that whole era that maybe it happened again. But, you know, yeah. when, when you look at the likes of it, the interview from Leroy Butler again, he said that he knew all about Brett Favre when he, when he got drafted or into the Packers team, not actually drafted, drafted. But when he got sort of, you know, signed up from the Falcons, that even Butler was going around saying, I've seen this guy and I know what he can do. Um, so, again, great things to come. So, look, folks, I know we've blazed through all of those years, but as you can hear, I mean, if you want us to go into more depth, we can do it at a 10-year period. But I reckon that the, you know... Maybe the only audience for that would probably be Magic Man himself and no one else is actually going to want to listen to it. And let's face it, even then, Magic Man probably won't want to hear it because all it's going to be is the times when he got injured and then benched because he got injured and Favre comes in. Um, so it's been a blast doing these history podcasts. Uh, it's a really simple and easy way for you to just download them on iTunes and you know listen to them when you're in the car going on the train whatever and you can become kind of a little uh, green bay packer expert if you will all the way from 1919 all the way up to 1991 and most people now will remember the mike holmgren onwards the brett Favre, the aaron Rodgers era and um, so that's something that you're probably familiar with but all of that period that you might not have known before that i mean myself and ryan now have gone through done the hard craft and brought you up to date so do subscribe to the podcast on itunes we also have it on uh, soundcloud so you can get on 
there and just listen to it I uh, don't think you even have to sign up for SoundCloud we always tweet the links out on our Twitter you can just hit the play button um, so I think Ryan that's all for this period um, So it's been great fun doing it and I have to say I've learned. I think I've learned a lot I don't know about yourself but I've learned a lot as well and it's just been good fun going back through the years and seeing the ups and downs and uh, obviously we're in and up at the minute and long may it continue exactly yeah and you can really appreciate that up now since we you know discussed such a really bad stretch of years so again guys if you like the history podcast be sure to subscribe and do leave us a nice kind and friendly uh, review on itunes as well po- hopefully point other packer fans in the direction but for this week at stdd nfl and my buddy old pal at ryan peacock nfl it's goodbye for now goodbye